92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Happy Thursday from Wesson Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Do we have a show for you? Merrill Hodge is going to come in and talk that trash about Drake May. He's going to be joining us at 1.20. We have Bobby Marks from ESPN at 2.20 to break down the new hire of the president of basketball operations replacement for Mitch Kupchak. It's Jeff Peterson from the Nets organization. Bobby president Mar- of Ops. President of the Ops, the basketball Ops. We'll also <laughs> uh, have Bobby Marks break down the Charlotte Hornets post-trade deadline. We have more comments to comb through from Dave Canales and Dan Morgan at the Combine. Lots to get to here on a Thursday on Wesson Walker. And so this is one of those shows that I'm excited to do because we could get some pretty nice information on, one, Drake May, some of the top quarterbacks at the top of the NFL draft class. And also I'm excited to see what Bobby has in store on Jeff Peterson, who, Wes, it's always really hard to decipher the responsibilities of the assistant GMs because we just don't know what they were in charge of. But you know they were the right-hand man of whoever it was at the top of the hierarchy with the Nets, right? So if it's – is it Sean Marks doing everything? What did Jeff Peterson do with the Nets organization? Same thing when we thought maybe it was Trajan Langdon coming over here. What did he do with the Pelicans? That was his – what was his responsibility mm-hmm. in some of these decision-making processes? And so we're going to get a lot of info today. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I'm super excited for this show. It should be action-packed, information-packed. The Hornets oh, yeah. making more moves. Combine starting today. I got to get the TV going during the break because the big boys out there, the defensive linemen, uh, and I think the linebackers are going today on on-field drills. So uh, it's exciting. Fiddy's going to have a great view of the Combine the entire time. I wonder if he's going to – I guess there's not a lot of Tar Heels that are going to be participating. Yeah, because no you know they don't play defense. So they they're don't? not going to put them uh, – no. they, they don't have anybody at the Combine like that except Cedric Gray. He plays defense. Cedric Gray does. Yeah, Cedric Gray does. does. So, yeah, we'll give you some rundown on Cedric Gray as well. Maybe that'll be a little bit later on in the show. Speaking of Fiddy, he's the bus driver of this whole shindig, and we'll get up to the scene right now, pull up, open up the doors. Go ahead, Fiddy, and let's get off the bus. Almost. Sounded like the bus driver was in pain. Oh, we look good getting off the bus. I got something to Seamlessly moving on, we saw Adrian Wojnarowski tweet out earlier today that Jeff Peterson was expected to become the new president of basketball operations for the Charlotte Hornets after serving as the assistant GM with the Nets organization since 2019. He came up with the Hawks franchise starting as a scout, moving to director of scouting, moving to assistant GM there before then going to the Nets franchise in 2019. Only 35 years old. He's a young one. In fact, the youngest president of basketball ops in the NBA. Only four years older than me. I'm, I'm like really on the heels <laughs> of somebody that's a decision making, uh, a decision maker in the NBA. This is weird, but when you look at what the Nets have accomplished, at least with him being a part of the front office, it's really hard to try to figure out what was his responsibility, what was his doing, and what was more so Sean Marks being the head shot caller. 
but overall, do you like picking up somebody from the Nets franchise with what they've done over the last couple of years? And what do you think about hiring somebody this young, Wes? Does it give you cause for concern? Or are you excited to have somebody that might bring in a fresh set of ideas? Well, definitely excited about the youth part of it. You know, he's going to have ideas, you know, and be a part of that new NBA mindset. So you have to like that. Uh, It was said that he had a key role in getting Kyrie Irving to come to Brooklyn uh, as well as being a key part of them bringing in that big three that never really happened Kevin Durant James Harden along with that Uh, but the thing that's interesting about it is you know you also have that backdrop of Brooklyn and the New York and the attraction there and we know that's a huge market and so it's going to be a challenge for him what can he do here I mean do we expect him to be able to uh, persuade players of that caliber to be able to come to Charlotte. Hopefully that is the case. Hopefully he is that type of recruiter. We know if anything, he's certainly going to have a deep knowledge of the uh, transfer portal because he played college basketball <laughs> in the Big Ten, SEC, and ACC for Iowa, Arkansas, and Florida State. So <laughs> yeah, this man is well versed in the transfer portal, if anything. He is well-traveled, yes. <laughs> uh, he is completing a meteoric rise with the words from Adrian Wojnarowski to oversee the Hornets' front office and become tasked with revitalizing one of the league's traditionally underperforming franchises. These are the words, again, of Woj reporting on this news. And so if I look at this, a couple things come to mind. One is he's the exact opposite of Mitch Kupchak in terms of age and in terms of experience. When they hired Mitch Kupchak, what was it? Five years ago, Mitch Kupchak came from one of the most historic franchises in all of sports after being the shot caller with the Lakers for quite some time, winning championships with Kobe Bryant and Shaq a part of the equation and having a completely different set of responsibilities, more so as a deal maker with a big market big franchise coming over here to Charlotte we thought he would take some of those practices and apply him here but it never really happened with them not being active at the trade deadline until 2024 when we were getting reports that well yeah Mitch was still doing it but it was more at the direction of Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall and so now here you have 70 year old Mitch Kupchak moving on from him he goes to an advisory role and you're bringing in 35 year old Jeff Peterson who has climbed the ranks as the scout, as I mentioned with the Hawks for quite some time. It makes sense that he would be the hire because he has that relationship with Rick Schnall when Rick Schnall was a minority owner with the Atlanta Hawks organization for quite some time. So they have that relationship. And in the end, I think it was always going to be hard for Trajan Langdon, for Matt Lloyd of Minnesota, who was also rumoredly a part of the GM list, according to Mark Stein yesterday. Even Ainge's son, Danny Ainge's son, up there in Boston, was rumored for this job and instead they just rely on somebody they know and are comfortable with with this guy after you know that hawks uh time frame you know overlapping with one another Mm -hmm. so he's opposite of mitch kupchak in the sense that he's so much younger but also the nets have been making deals over the last four years we know about the recruiting as you mentioned with some of the stars it's going to be easier to do that in brooklyn than it is in charlotte but at least you have some familiarity there you are also trading when it was time to move on from those guys. Jeff Peterson was a part of a front office to maximize what you possibly could in trading Kevin Durant for all of those pieces in yeah. Phoenix. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson. You're getting all of the first round picks that were available and you're almost taking advantage of the new ownership disease, if you will, with Matt Ishbia after he purchased the Phoenix Suns. And so, yeah, we're going to try to take advantage of that. We know you want to do something big. You want to go trade for Kevin Durant. Give us all of the valuable role players. Give us all of your draft picks and then we'll do it. 
So those are some things to like. The to-do list will be interesting to see how he addresses this top 10 pick they're going to get, how he chooses to handle the Miles Bridges contract situation, and how he chooses to handle these 2027 first-round picks where you don't necessarily have to have a sense of urgency with those. But maybe just go and get Mikhail Bridges from the organization you used to work for with those 2027 first. There are a couple of things that we'll come to find out once he settles into the job. But it feels very different from Mitch Kupchak. In fact, this whole thing seems very different ever since Plotkin and Schnall took over. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I like that plan that you're on. And maybe he can come in and pull some of those moves. I mean, we know that this guy is... Uh, obviously a hard worker and obviously he's a special talent for him to be in a position that he's in uh, at this age. You talk about a contrast going from Mitch Kupchak and his advanced age to this guy uh, being a younger guy, man. But hopefully, like I said, it works out. It's always hard to tell in positions like this uh, just how a guy's going to do based off the track record, especially with him being number two. But I think we're going to find out very quickly with all of the things on that to-do list that you mentioned uh, what we're working with very quickly. All right, so what are his responsibilities, first and foremost, with the Hornets? We can go down. I have three in mind. I already mentioned them, but we can go into more detail. Number one, the first thing we're going to do is figure out how good he is at drafting. And his first draft is going to come up on June 26th when the NBA draft is held and the Hornets are going to get a top 10 pick. So what does Jeff decide to do there as that lead guy? That's going to be priority number one, just because chronologically that's what shows up. Yeah. Not too far after that though, Wes, June 30th, I believe is when NBA free agency starts. So you have the draft and then you got to pivot immediately to what you're going to do in free agency. If you look at the Hornets payroll, the contract that sticks out first and foremost is the one of Miles Bridges whose pay is off of the books as soon as this year ends, and he hits unrestricted free agency. So now you have to figure out, are you going to keep Miles Bridges? And if so, at what cost? Because there are other teams that are going to look to take advantage of what kind of talent he brings to the floor, and maybe you don't have to pay him $30 million, because I would argue that he, even with him being the best talent on the floor right now, especially with LaMelo not being out there, Miles, I wouldn't say, is worth $30 million a year at this current moment. I don't think he's played that great of a brand of basketball, even though he's still clearly the best player, especially with LaMelo being out, Brandon, I guess, close on his heels. Is he going to be making $25 million a year? What's his annual average? Of sal- uh, annual average? I don't know what it's going to be, but that's something that's going to be a really tough decision for Jeff Peterson to make. And Wes, just because he wasn't the guy that drafted him, he doesn't know Miles Bridges very well. Mm-hmm. He's going to get some of the opinions from Rick Schnall, who he has a close relationship with, and maybe that alters his decision-making. That would make sense coming in from the boss. But that Miles Bridges thing with him having not drafted him, him not having a close personal relationship, I'm sure they'll build one before they get to June and then have to make that decision. But to me, that's the biggest thing you look at and see, okay, that's a real that's a real crossroads on deciding what you want to do with Miles. Yeah, no doubt about it, because he comes in, he inherits a couple of nice things. He already has pretty much two kind of established really good young players. And, I mean, that's continuing to project Brandon Miller. And then you talk about LaMelo Ball, you know, if he can stay healthy. So that's uh, one of the bigger parts of his job that's kind of already taken care of. And now you have to figure out how to build around these guys. Miles Bridges' contract is certainly going to be uh, at the top of that list and figuring out what he wants to do there because, I mean, yeah, if you paid him 25, I mean, you look at the NBA salaries where they're at now, and I mean, that's that's down there. And he, even if he went to 30, 
Uh, there are a ton of guys that are making more than that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what he does with Miles Bridges, what the contract length is, and if there's going to be stipulations put in it. The third thing, are you going to bring back Steve Clifford? And maybe even chronologically, you have to make the Steve Clifford call first before you get to the draft and Miles Bridges. But Steve Clifford is going to be another big question he has to answer. With him being the new shot caller, does he just decide we're going to move on? We don't have to bring Steve Clifford back. He did a made a valiant effort, I guess, here with the second season um, since he came back. But we know all the injuries that he's had to battle the last couple of years. And then post-All-Star break in both seasons, that's when the team started to get back on track. And once you gave him an NBA-level bench, Steve Clifford started to win again. And so is he doing enough post-All-Star break to warrant him getting a third chance with this Hornets team now that if Melo and Mark Williams actually are healthy next year with this revamped bench? and deciding what they'll do in free agency alongside another top 10 pick, then maybe Steve Clifford is that guy that you want leading that charge. And if it doesn't work out for that third year, then Jeff Peterson decides to go to a different coach or he'll have to decide, all right, Steve, you did a great job, but I want a new face. This is going to be something that I have to live with. And so if I'm the one making these decisions, then I need to be the one already putting my foot down and putting my fingerprints all over this franchise. And part of that means hiring the coach that I want to be the guy for the next three, four, five years. I mean, more than that. More than that if he's successful. So the thing here is also that he has a relationship with Steve Clifford Mm -hmm. from Steve Clifford being a consultant with Brooklyn for a little while. So maybe the fact that Jeff Peterson knows Steve Clifford, maybe that's actually leaning more towards Clifford returning. I know we've had that conversation quite a bit here recently. Yeah, Clifford's got a lot going in his corner as far as the player support, especially the top guys on the team. Melo loves him. Brandon Miller loves him. Miles loves him as well. So I think that will help him a lot. It's just the thing for coaches going to be, how does he finish up this season? Does it look like it's going in a positive direction? And if it's not, then I think maybe you do start to look at moving on. But I think now we've seen glimpses of what he can do with a competent roster. I'd like to see what he could do with a roster at full strength. Do you think this is an attractive job right now for Jeff Peterson or any GM that they could have brought here within the Charlotte Hornets franchise? 704-570-9610. That is the FanDuel text line. 704-570-9610. Just how attractive is this job that Jeff Peterson takes over? And do you like the hire? Tell us how you feel about the Hornets' um, decision that uh, Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall are bringing as they continue to do a bunch of work post-trade deadline and beyond. We'll uh, read those text messages on the other side of the break. We have plenty more Carolina Panthers discussion on the other side as well. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Folks, this is the Wesson Walker Show. Spirited debate already cooking up as we see the prospects walking into the NFL Combine. Just got a glimpse of Drake May walking in, having a good time with his fellow quarterbacks. Those events will get going. The on-field each day will occur at 3 o'clock. So we'll be off the air when the defensive linemen and the linebackers get it cracking. But yeah, uh, players of note, as we said, Cedric Gray from Charlotte. Uh, will be out there today putting his skills on display. And uh, he's a player that I like very much. Keep the text coming on the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. We got Copeland, a.k.a. Jokeland, 
uh, as my text loads. He I can says, read it if you want me to. I got it. It says, okay. not a third <laughs> chance. If the Hornets finish the season strong, Cliff should stay on. He'd have made the most of his second chance. No third chance needed. What do you think about that, Walker? I guess he's saying Steve Clifford has done a pretty good job in the second year, which I don't know if that was true before the All-Star break. Look, I, I don't know if I was saying Steve Clifford was doing a great job before the trade deadline. I just know that all the problems were going to be really hard to overcome with that roster. And I think, at least now, you have seen them win more games once they traded for players that were NBA-level replacement. You're talking about G League guys. You're talking about players that got cut. So once he gets players that just weren't getting run because OKC was so good and they're battling for the number one seed in the Western Conference, you started to win more games, at least against the teams that were in your neighborhood amongst the teams in the standings. And so I think that matters quite a bit. 704 says the vi- the vibe is truly different. I love it. We're going younger. No more Tar Heel MJ nepotism. Get younger in these important roles and catch up with the rest of the league. And so that's one thing I wonder, too. Like Buzz Peterson, is he going to stay on with this team? We know Mitch Kupchak is going to go to an advisory role. We'll see there. Last one, at least from me, uh, from me. Tate from Wesley Chapel says, do you guys think this puts Kenny Atkinson back in play potentially? Ain't no way. Yeah, I don't think so. Not after <laughs> no. what he did. I, I can't see. <laughs> no way. Can you imagine if they tried to announce, hey, Kenny Atkinson, could be coming back over to Charlotte. Now that it's a lot more attractive job, LaMelo's developed a little more. They have Brandon Miller. They have a couple first-round picks. Golden State is in a little bit of turmoil. They don't look like they're going to resurrect the championship prowess that they once had. So Kenny Atkinson now, he's looking to take this job over. Man, this fan base would riot. Ain't no way. <laughs> what if he Kenny got Ad- up there and the first thing he said, well, see what happened. What yeah, had happened, yeah, yeah, guys? Yeah, we know well, what happened. Let me tell you. Some of it was the Hornets' fault. Some of it was... But also a lot of it was Kenny just deciding he he knew all the stuff when he accepted it. He knew what he was getting into. And then he decided, no, I'm going to stay back in Golden (laughs) State. So, no, I get it because of the Nets connection. I get the question as to why. But, no, that's not going to happen. He burned those bridges. Yeah. So speaking of other things that will happen. So Sunday, no, NFL is not back. But on Sunday at 1 p.m., uh, the offensive linemen in this year's 2024 NFL draft class will put their skills on display. Uh, and we have a guy here who put his skills on display just a couple of years ago. And those skills haven't necessarily translated uh, to the NFL all the way. And I'm talking about Iki Aquanu. And we know that Dan Morgan down in Indianapolis was talking about, or up in Indianapolis, I should say, was talking about how Iki was their guy and that they still believed in him and that, you know, it was going to be his position to lose coming out there next season and that the thought is not to move him to guard. And so I asked myself, uh, when you look at this young man in the season that he had, uh, he played 1,148 snaps tied for the fifth most uh, in his position, but he was tied for the third most penalties and he had the third most sacks that he allowed. The run blocking grade was quite respectable at 77.0, but we know where the bread and butter is in this league. You definitely still want to run. And Coach Canales has talked about that and how that's going to be a focal point of this offense. But we also know that this league is built on the quarterbacks and how well you can throw the football when you need to. And so to have a left tackle that you cannot depend on to keep your quarterback upright, that's just not ideal. And so how much do we actually buy that the Panthers believe in Iki Aquanu, Or is it a money and pride thing? They know that, hey, man, we drafted this guy top five. We're paying him. We got to put him out there until we feel like there's absolutely no other choice. Different regime. They didn't draft him. 
at least Dan Morgan wasn't the lead guy when they did draft him. Maybe Dan Morgan pounded the table for him. Maybe that he got on board. But I don't think it's much of money and pride. I just don't know what else you would do rather than go spend big money at left tackle and then move on after two years, one of which he was okay protecting the blind side. Yes, he got help. Yeah, (laughs) I I know that's always the caveat, but at least it worked, right? Like it, it worked whenever you gave him help. And there were also some moments that he looked good in pass protection and the bad moments are really bad. That's what we've come to know about Icky. That needs to be fixed. And he was not consistent last year, but with help, you knew that you could at least make it work. And I think Dave Canales is smart enough to make sure that it can work again with Icky over on the left side. And hopefully you just see natural progression from him anyway. But I don't think it's necessarily money and pride. I think you look at the free agent market and there's not many tackles to be had. One thing you could do, I guess, is throw a lot of money at Trent Brown. One of the top. There's a lot of vets. You know, you got like the Tyron Smiths and guys like that, like older, grizzled veterans. And they're not going to get Smith, right? Like Smith is going to stick around with Dallas. And so if they have those guys that are, you know, fixtures of some of these franchises, Dallas moving on from Tyron Smith, then I, I would be shocked, right? I'd be pretty surprised if that happened. Maybe it does, but I'd be surprised. So then that leaves you with the Trent Browns of the world. And then you're throwing a lot of money there where, okay, is Trent Brown going to come here? It just feels like this is the way. Third year in for a first-round pick, where it's not just Carolina that had Icky as a tackle, and maybe he could be successful there. So, yeah, I think it's totally reasonable to try to give him a third year to figure it out over there on the left side because, yeah, he was a first-round pick, and you made him a pick there because he's really talented. I don't think it's because, oh, I, I, we can't admit that we were wrong. No, I think you drafted him because he has the tools, and I think a third year to try to figure all that out makes sense. Yeah, um, I'm almost in that boat with you, but I think they are very shaky uh, about Icky, and I feel like there's good reason to be. I mean, you look at his grades and the metric we like to go to PFF for the analytics. The run blocking did improve, but, you know, he had a 65.3 the first year, 67.4 uh, this past season, and the pass block grade went down uh, five points. The penalties were he had one more penalty last year uh, than he did this year. So the penalties, but he gave up a lot less pressures uh, he gave up four less hurries, eight less hits, and five less sacks. But we also know that we talked about how I think, I believe the stat was on 35% of the passing attempts. Uh, they gave him help with the chip and different things of that nature. I'm not so sure that they are uh, absolutely so to the point to where if a situation arose to where they could get an upgrade at the position, that they would not uh, pull that trigger. I think right now they're just in a spot that, hey, you know, we drafted this guy top five. We want to see this thing through. Uh, you know, the rookie pay, while it isn't crazy, it's still enough there where they're like, hey, we, we want to give this thing one last shot before we decide if this is the position uh, that he's going to play. Because just based off his style of play, he's best suited to be a guard. Uh, run blocking is his forte. He's either suited to be a guard or a right tackle because it's showing up more and more that run blocking is his strength. And we've heard everybody talk about how he is a mauler in the run game and pass blocking seems to be a place of, of real struggle for him. And then perhaps if he went down inside with some of that help and, and all those bodies there to maybe kind of throw off the rush of a guy and maybe the athleticism standpoint, those defensive tackles, he matches up better with them than some of the speed of those pass rushers because we saw him sometimes just get beat flat out off the speed rush, which is fine. This is the NFL. I mean, it's going to be hard to stop guys down in, down out uh, on a speed rush. But 
what are the reasons that you feel like that they should believe in Icky if that is in fact the case? Because the tools are there if you have the right coaching and even if you need to give him help, maybe you give him enough help now to where he can figure it out on his own, still being such a young player in the league. And the fact that he did have some flashes in his rookie season, despite having tight ends help him out every once in a while, the fact that you have him as a top 10 pick because of the tools that he has that not a lot of other tackles have out there. And it's not like at least you're looking at this from a standpoint, oh man, we missed out on Evan Neal. Now Evan Neal struggled too. I don't think you're looking at Charles Cross as much either. I'm trying to, I can look a little bit more at the evaluation of him, but it doesn't seem like people are saying, man, they really missed out. They picked the wrong one. It it feels like everybody else is either struggling or on the same level as what Icky is going through right now. So I think that's, those are a couple of reasons. And I can't, I I keep going back to what else are you going to do at this point? Because one thing you could do is draft a tackle. Mm -hmm. You have the 33 overall pick. So if you draft a tackle at 33 overall, we already know it's hard for a top 10 guy to come in and start at left tackle. We can ask the very dude that we're talking about, Aniki Aquanu. Is number 33 going to come in and win that job in training camp? I don't think so. Plus, we don't even know if they're going to draft that tackle, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say they draft a wide receiver. Now we're waiting until the third round before they draft a potential offensive tackle or a fourth. And that guy's not going to beat Aniki Aquanu out in training camp. Maybe. I would say no. So if you go to the free agency market, then we start to look at Trent Brown, two years, seven and a half million dollars a year. Okay. Maybe. Maybe they decide to do that. But then the other best tackles available are Michael Wenwu, which I believe also has some guard experience under his belt, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. To the Panthers a little bit. So so maybe you decide to do that. He's projected at about four years, fifteen million. And then it's Makai Becton, which you're starting to go further down on the list. Yeah. Becton's a big old dude. You want that. Admirable pass protector last year, according yeah, to Pro Football yeah, Focus. I don't but, know if you want that guy, though. But this, right. Yeah. Ultimately, we agree. And so, Makai Becton's the fourth best rated tackle out there on the open market. 33 overall pick. Or if you miss out on Tyron Smith, who we expect to go back to Dallas, Trent Brown, who another team might get, maybe a win woo. Like, if it's not those two guys, then it's icky, right? Like, that's the point. I just don't know what else you would realistically do to move on from Icky, given the options that you have right now. Well, and the thing is, the reason why I pushed back on your point about a mid-round pick, I mean, if there's any position you get a lot of value at mid to late in the draft, it's offensive line. Uh, you know, a lot of guys get knocked for different things. Either Feels more like guard, though. It's either testing or... Um, you know, it could be your competition level that you played at or different things like that. Like, who knows? It's just the only thing that's the most concerning about Icky is that, again, we talked about the help that he got the rookie year. And then it's like, you know, taking your kid out and putting him on training wheels on a bike. And then it's like once you finally let him go and they're riding that two-wheel bike and then can they ride it or are they going to fall and, and scrape their knee? Uh, and, and that's going to be continue to be the case. And so it's like, okay, yeah, we helped you out on over 30% of the snaps last year, you give up six sacks. And then when we finally let you go and be on that island a little bit more, you give up 11 sacks. And then you give up 17 more pressures. And so that's the only thing that would concern me to where I'm starting to feel like, is this going to get better? Because you feel like the first season, you're getting acclimated, you're learning the game. Uh, You know, it's definitely a, a a different caliber, higher caliber of athlete out there on the edge that you're going against than what you went against in college. And then it's like, all right, we felt like from the first year you'd learn and uh, immerse yourself and be able to come out that second year, learn the ropes and be better. 
and you kind of you take a step back. So that's the only reason that I've been thinking about that. But when we talk about this draft, uh, Chris Chapazzo was on the Kyle Bailey show, and he was talking about how deep this offensive line class is in this draft. It's a very deep class. Offensive tackle, kind of the case every year, that every college is throwing the ball a lot. There's always good receivers, and they need to pass protect. So there's usually a lot of good offensive tackles. It's a great class there. I can't say, and, and I mean, we he, we are here at the Combine, but I'm not like incredibly deep into my evaluations on the interior offensive line. But what I've watched from guys that seem like round one, round two, um, or maybe into the third round, it's a quality class on the inside as well. Some centers, guards that I think will be starters, but mostly offensive tackle. The Panthers would be able to add to that, you know, of course, a very valuable position later in the draft. So I think that's an interesting point uh, that he brings up, too, about a lot of these tackles coming out, how many times they throw the ball and different things like that. And a lot of these guys are best suited to come into the league and be uh, really good pass blockers right away. But uh, it's like when you look – go ahead, Walker, what you got? Oh, no, I, I was going to wait for your point. But what I was – one point that did pop up in my mind was if Dave Canales is telling you that we're going to be stubborn about running the football – then it's one thing for these offensive tackles, according to Chris Trapasso, saying, yeah, these guys are well-suited to pass protect. Well, okay, if the identity is still going to be running the football and you have a borderline top 10 run blocker at the tackle position and then you move down to whatever this rookie is going to do, like how much does that affect your offense? Because now if people are crashing in and be able to attack the running back on the backside because this rookie tackle isn't able to clear his guy out, then that's going to be a real problem and a real step down. Like, Nicky Iquanu isn't just – he's really good as a run blocker, which is to the point for some people to say, hey, we should move him in at guard. So if you have that big of a drop-off, and then also you might have some rookie mistakes that you normally see in pass protection, mm-hmm. then to me, all of these reasons are the reasons as to why I'm cool with a third year. He's not amazing. There's a reason we're having this conversation, and it's deserved. But a third year for a top-10 pick, I'm cool with it, especially, especially if you don't draft one at 33. Like, if you draft an offensive tackle with how deep this class is at 33, maybe he goes even higher up in other drafts. And so we have a real conversation to be had. Like, maybe that guy could be icky. Maybe. But then we get to third and fourth. I get it. You see offensive line have some real depth in previous years. You usually see that more with guard than you do with some of these left tackles coming in right away. And even a win Like, he's a right tackle for the most part. So then it's... I just don't see a lot of options here as to why I would move Icky as soon as we start the season into guard where I'm cool with him getting another shot before then we have that conversation again come his fourth year in the league. Yeah, I think that, you know, tackle is a position because obviously, you know, you can get a guy that's going to be a swing guy for depth if you wanted to pick pick a player and, uh, you know, in those mid to late rounds perhaps and then see how they do as a depth piece, and then just see how Icky looks when you bring him into camp but in the preseason. And as the guy that's behind him, if you were to pick a guy in the third or fourth round, is he a guy that when you put him into action, is he is he ready? So I think that's going to be a very fascinating part of this draft if they will uh, draft a tackle. If you were to bet money on it right now, do you think that they will draft, uh, I guess I'd say a tackle or a guy that they would – maybe having the mind of maybe this guy could play tackle. Because I've seen Graham Barton being listed as a center out of Duke um, as a guy that the Panthers could potentially pick at 33. And I just wonder, do you think that they will address a guy that could potentially 
be a guy on that side that if Icky doesn't work out in 2024, yes, no, I don't think he, I don't think he, whoever the tackle is, they draft. I think there's potential they could draft that guy. That's what I'm saying. But Do if, you think that they will draft a tackle? Yes, I think they will draft an offensive lineman. I okay. think probably a tackle at some point, just because of how deep it is. At 33, if I had to guess, it would be wide receiver. Tackle is certainly very much so on the board. But I think offensive lineman is certainly going to be something they address. I don't think they're going to draft a guy that takes Icky's job in 2024. All right, so who are the biggest swing players on this roster, in your opinion? And let the people out there know what you mean by a swing player. A guy that can make or break the Carolina Panthers season as much as anybody. Mm. And Icky Iquandu is number one on this list as we talk about swing players. Because if he figures it out, then hell yeah, man. We're off and rolling. Think about how big it would be if Icky just becomes a top 15 tackle in this league. Oh, yeah, it'd be huge. It'd be monstrous for him to just be average at the left tackle position in pass protection because he's better than average in run blocking. But if he's average in pass protection, that's a big deal with Dave Canales coming over and helping out. And so Icky is number one on this list. I think Jonathan Mingo is also very high on this list. If he's your second round pick from last year, he has all of this ability and Canales figures out what to do with all of that ability, then I think that makes a big deal as well. I think if you go to the defensive side, I can't help. We've talked about Von Bell a decent amount. Mm -hmm. I just think if Von Bell gets back to one being healthy, but also if Von starts playing more so to what he did his last year in Cincinnati, I mean, that's a hell of a safety duo to try to deal with and throw on. If Xavier Woods is one of the better safeties in the league, mm -hmm. Von Bell figures it out to what he was doing. He was valuable, according to Lou Anarumo, talked about how valuable Von Bell was, was one of the higher sought after players because one price point wasn't crazy. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not like he's a pro bowler, but Von Bell, I think, could be a big swing player for this team. This is not including some of the free agents like clearly Brian Burns. Clearly, Frankie Louvu, if they're gone, that's a big deal. Just discussing some of the players from last year no doubt, who no could doubt. be on this team. They'll either make a big difference one way or the other. Icky at the top, I think Mingo, and I'll also go with Von Bell defensively. Yeah, I think Mingo would be uh, a great pick for me as well because I'm just wondering, you know, if they're not able to go out and get that quote-unquote number one guy, and even if they aren't able to go out in the secondary market and land somebody like some of the guys we talked about, Gabe Davis, Tyler Boyd, I feel like the Panthers are going to draft the receiver. But again, as you said, that's a risky proposition. You don't know what a rookie's going to give you in that first year. So if you return with Thielen, with Mingo uh, intact, and then who knows who you add uh, also in that receiver room, then I think it's going to be imperative for Jonathan Mingo uh, to get on his game and at least give you number two caliber production. Last thing here, people are writing in, it's got to be Bryce Young. I guess I view this conversation as outside of the obvious. No doubt. No, so, doubt. no but they're, they're right. We should be clear about that. Bryce Young is going to be the biggest swing player on this roster. Yeah. We, we did make it clear, so fair enough on people correcting us on the text line. I just view this conversation as outside of Bryce, the quarterback, number one overall pick who was terrible, biggest swing player after that. That's when I think we start to look at my list and yours. All right, no doubt. When we come back, we jump into the NFL PA player survey poll and talk about David Tepper and how much could we expect him to improve as an owner on Sports Radio 92.7. WFNZ.
It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. We appreciate everybody riding on the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. Feel free to continue to share your thoughts and opinions on the FanDuel text line. And also make sure you join us, Wesson Walker, for the Friday finale of the Michelob Ultra Charlotte Hornets Watch Party. It's happening at Graham Street Pub and Patio in Uptown Charlotte. Friday, March 8th at 6 p.m. Tip-off for that game will be at 7 p.m. You missed Wes last time. He's going to be here this time. I will be. You won't want to miss it. We had some sneakerheads show up. We had some people that were fans of the show. We had people whose moms teach third grade and participate in War Cry Wednesday show okay. up. And so we've got a lot of people showing up and watching the Hornets. New look Hornets, by the way. Because last time we also did this, we watched the... Charlotte Hornets get destroyed by 40 against Milwaukee, but that's not going to happen this time because they didn't have the new addition suit up. Now we got Meechich, we got Grant Williams, we got all of the good players on the bench that are playing now. And so hopefully we can all watch a win together. Plus, you're going to get a lot of prize opportunities as well. They'll face the Washington Wizards. It's Washington. Do we have a drop for Washington when I did that one rant, that one time, Fiddy, or is that something you don't have? You're looking for it. I was trying to stall for you. The Wizards! Yeah. <laughs> I figured you might. That was not any communication between us. I did not know if he had it. I just know he loves that. Yes, the Wizards. They're playing the Wizards, so hopefully they can win, and we'll have signed Hornets merch for you, plus your chance to win tickets to a future Hornets home game, plus other great prizes. Last time we gave away a Mark Williams signed hat. Last time we gave away future tickets again. We had multiple opportunities to win future tickets. And so we're giving away good stuff. It's going to be me and Wes, Graham Street Pub and Patio, March 8th. That's a Friday. So it's not even like you have to take care of anything that night. At least I don't think so. So just come out and hang around and get a couple of beers. And uh, 6 p.m., a tip-off at 7 p.m., Graham Street Pub and Patio, March 8th, the Wes and Walker Hornets watch party. Big thank you. To our friends at Michelob Ultra. Michelob Ultra does a great job hosting these things, and we appreciate Michelob Ultra for doing so once more. Let's go to the players' survey. We got to see the NFL player survey poll come out on a bunch of different topics, ranking their franchises in a bunch of different categories. And the Carolina Panthers, they finished middle of the pack when you combine every single one of the subjects that they voted on. Carolina was ranked 17th out of 32 NFL teams. When you talk about this year's rankings in a bunch of different areas for each of these franchises in the NFL. And so some of the notable rankings where they weren't middle of the pack, they were seventh out of 32 in treatment of facilities. They got a B grade for that. They were a B plus in nutrition and diet. That was sixth in the NFL, middle of the pack in a bunch of areas, training staff. They were ranked third with an A minus and their strength coaches got an A, and they ranked fourth there in the entire NFL. And so really, besides that, not a whole lot to point to on the bad side until you get to ownership. <laughs> David Tepper, owner of the Carolina Panthers, compared to all the other owners in the NFL, received a D letter grade. <clears throat> that was good for 28th out of 32 in the NFL. Is that good, Wes? That is not good at all. Thank you. It's not. I don't think it's boo his ass. <laughs> the, the players did. The players did boo ownership. And so here are some of the reasons as to why David Tepper came in at 28th. Club owner David Tepper receives a score of 6.6 out of 10 from the Panthers players when considering his willingness to invest in the facilities. That's 28th overall. And the major factor in the score was David Tepper's decision to change their home stadium from grass to turf 
while 100% of the players say they prefer to play on grass. Not 99.9. This isn't one of the warnings on your hand sanitizer that says it just kills all but a tiny bit of the bacteria. No, it's 100%. 100% of the players would rather face the opposition on grass rather than turf, and that's why David Tepper, for the most part, is so lowly ranked in his investment in the facilities. What do you make of this grade for David Tepper? Uh, I think it's terrible, man. I mean, it still blows my mind how these owners can be making what they make off of these teams and these teams being worth what they're worth and not providing their players with everything top of the line. Uh, We talked about the Kansas City Chiefs owner and him getting an F. And I said, well, look at Arrowhead. It's a dump. Like, sorry, Chiefs fans. And it's not hating because they lost. My Niners lost to them. But it's like, man, I've been watching NFL films highlights since I was eight years old and their stadium still looks the same. And so when you look at the Panthers too, man, I mean, Bank of America, there hasn't been a ton of upgrades uh, at that stadium since they built it. And the Panthers could use, you know, a few upgrades and different things. I mean, the practice facility, it could be a little bit better than what it is as well. And so, you know, the players are speaking out about that. We don't even have to talk about some of the other things that have been uh, big offseason news as far as how the treatment of of different employees and the different things that he tries to do with the coaching staff, which I thought that this was going to be a part of this grade as well. But it just doesn't speak well to him. I think that David Tepper has to look at this, even though I'm not sure that it will change much. But he's got to say, man, look, his public perception is not great. And then even your own players don't have a great perception of you, man. So something's got to change. Yeah, David Tepper is viewed as one of the worst owners in the NFL. And it's going to take a while for him to dig himself out of this hole. I think a lot of that has to do with Carolina losing. And so with him being the poster child of bad ownership, or at least among the poster child of bad children of bad ownership in the NFL, I think it's going to be... Oh, it's going to be up to Dave Canales and up to the decisions that he's made on the football portion, on the football side of things, on how they're able to you know, get out of this. Even if most of the players, all of the players are telling you they'd rather play on grass than turf. But of course, turf makes it easier to make sure that you host concerts and then bring music to the Queen City, such as he <laughs> will remind you time and time again, despite pointing to a two-win record last year and a tenure that has not produced one Playoff outing, not one. We had a 704 number ask who was worse than Tepper, the Arizona Cardinals owner. He got an F. Uh, You also go down the list. Kansas City Chiefs, not only did he get an F, he got an F (laughs) minus. I didn't know things Uh, existed. The New England Patriots, they gave Robert Kraft a D plus. Uh, You saw the Pittsburgh Steelers, surprisingly. They got an F. And so those were the guys who were just as low or lower than David Tepper. Yeah, The turf is the big deal. The question is, does it matter enough to David Tepper to change it? Because it hasn't yet. And Wes, you brought, not that you bring it to our attention, but I know you wanted to play Mad Dog Russo's take on David Tepper because he went off on David Tepper for a different reason, but something I think we can all get behind. Yes, It's the fact that it was reported David Tepper and the Panthers are going to raise ticket prices, specifically for those in the lower bowl, but it was going to go up 4%. And even if it doesn't sound like a lot, NFL tickets are already a lot of money. And Mad Dog Russo, angrier than ever, he took David Tepper to task on first take. I like it. How about Carolina and Tepper? 
charging 4% ticket increase oh, for next year for the Panthers. Wow. I mean, you got son. Because they won some son, games? You got to be serious. You're not, you're not serious, <laughs> are you? Whoa. With this God-forbidden franchise that <laughs> stinks, where you're firing head coaches, when you're telling everybody who to draft on draft day, including Young instead of C.J. Stroud. And I love Young, too, but that was a mistake. In a market that cares more about college basketball than the NFL, in a stadium that's a little old, and you're going to make them ante up 4% more. I don't care, but I don't care what the percentage is. You should give them the games for free. And you're going to aim for exhibition games? <laughs> you're going to make them pay for it? When you guys make a fortune, when the NFL prints money, and you're going to charge those poor Panther fans 4% more? 4%. That is a complete, utter disgrace. And for an owner who has absolutely no good PR, okay, that's the last thing you do to your fan base off a lousy year when you're throwing water in Jacksonville at the fans because you're upset that you lost the Jaguars. You know what? I got an idea to fix our problem. Let's charge them more money to see the garbage that we put on the field. That is a, I don't know who came up with that idea. You give them a discount off that kind of season, not a price increase. That's one of the best sound bites that we've played. And I'm not a Mad Dog fan by any stretch of the imagination. You guys know that. He's a legend. But that was good. He's a legend. When it comes to ranting, <laughs> he's on Mount Rushmore. That's just how it is. And that was a great Panther-centric rant. Everybody is here for it. He almost did drop an S-bomb there. We, we almost had – that's on ESPN, too. That's Disney, baby. Disney <laughs> don't want you cursing on live air, not on first take, not that time slide. Real quickly, your thoughts before we move on on Mad Dog's rant. The comedic value, yes, but also some of the substance that he was aiming at. Yeah, I about. love it, but no, it's correct. It's like, you know, just the self-awareness of people. You hear me talk about it all the time. Why would you say we've had a horrible season and I'm going to raise prices on people, especially when you see what's going on out here in America? Now, I know inflation has come down uh, a, a decent bit, but it's still, man, it's expensive as hell out here. And you're gonna oh, NFL tickets people, have always been expensive. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying in life in general. Right. And so you're going to ask people that already, you know, paying to see this bad product to come back and pay more to see a product that they don't know about yet. We have some people writing in on it. We can get some of those texts on the other side of the break. We also have to get to collegiate athletics. It's the campus corner coming up next. Merrill Hodge at 120. Bobby Marks at 220. Plenty more to get to on Wes and Walker. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The way things ought to be presented by Kyle Bailey. I'm 